have trouble with your foot. We had a lot. We went on a walk this weekend, and uh, just so we could see the flood water, and it was really cool. Um, but it's it's going to be uh, take some time to die down. Okay, let's pray, and then we will get started. Lord Jesus, you are here. We are grateful that you have brought us all together this morning. We're grateful for the safety on the roads in. Pray for those who are still on their way. Um, we lift this time to you. We know that you have something you want to say to us through this really rather depressing book. Um, and that you will say it in loud and clear. And we're grateful to you for that. Um, we lift this time to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So this, uh, the other day on Sunday, we were, I was leaving the house and, and I didn't look over into my front yard. I was just focused. I was heading in into church and I was focused. So I didn't pay attention. So when my husband got to church, my husband and my son come, have came different at a different time. And they got to church and my husband's like, oh, did you see the bunny? And I said, no. I didn't, what, what bunny? Because I don't know if you have bunnies in your yard, but I've got like a whole collection. I've actually got wire over some of my bushes so they won't eat it. Um, so I was like, I, I didn't see the bunny. He's like, well, the bunny's not there anymore, but there are remnants. So, so <laughs> evidently this bunny, there's, like, there's a, a, a trail of bunny fur across our front yard. Um, and it's it's just a trail, that, and there's no like other parts left, um, just a trail of bunny fur. And so we know that coyotes like to eat bunnies, right? So I'm guessing that this was a coyote rather than like a hawk or something um, who that got hold of this bunny and bunny put up a, a fight um, and left this trail of fur. But that's kind of how I see this book, <laughs> right? Um, it, it's it's pretty dark. I don't know if you noticed that when you were reading. Like it's, it, it, it's pretty grim, right? Um, but you know what? This is an amazing, amazing story. Um, I saw in, in one place where they subtitled the book of Nahum as the limits of God's patience. Ooh. Now that huh, I don't I don't like that, right? I'm a I'm a New Testament Christian. I want to hear that God is patient forever. <laughs> right? Um, so bear with me as we go through some of this because it's I know it's kind of a grim book, um, but it's gonna be um, it's gonna be okay because this book actually has an amazing message to tell us. Um, and I'm excited to get to the end of this lecture when you are all going to go, yes, go God! Okay, so... Yes, go God! <laughs> yes, go God! Um, so that's what, what, what we're doing today. So, first is our overview of the message of Nahum. Uh, Nahum, at its basic place, is a prediction and celebration of the fall of Nineveh, which happened in 612 BC. Okay? Um, so it is a prediction and a celebration. You see, like, 
this whole thing about Nineveh is going to fall and it's going to be bad and all this stuff and dog poop. Um, <laughs> right? Um, and, and then there's this celebration part, right? The celebration of, of death. The celebration, oh, my, my lion's not up there anymore, but the celebration of the, the death of the, the great lion, right? Assyria was called the great lion. Um, so we have um, that. Okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two quotes about Nahum, and they're gonna sound very very different. And then I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the two theologians who wrote these quotes. Um, the, here's the first one: The book of Nahum displays gloats by a prophet who delights in a bloodthirsty deity. The key theme of Nahum is vengeance. The primary weapons are humiliation and rape. Yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah. God. Yeah. Go God! Right? <laughs> I mean, that, that's pretty grim. That's pretty grim. And then, and then we have um, the next one. Some interpreters. Sorry, I'm gonna. I'm acting this out as we go. Um, some interpreters uh, scorn the Book of Nahum because it seems to be a vengeful, nationalistic expression of Israel's triumph over Nahum. That's a lot sweeter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that one is um, was done by Dr. Elizabeth Ochtemeyer, uh, who is a Presbyterian. So you kind of get that sense of the you know, kind of the Presbyterian, everything decently and in order, right? Um, so she was a professor um, at Union Theological Seminary even before they allowed women to be professors there. She was an adjunct and then eventually worked her way in, she and her husband, Paul. Um, and their son, Mark, this is a little personal side note. Their son, Mark, um, was until recently a professor of theology at um, Dubuque Seminary. And his wife, Kat, or Kathleen, um, was a pastor of the Presbyterian Church, the PCUSA Church, in Dubuque, where my brother and sister-in-law go. So, <laughs> that's my connection. I feel like I'm very connected to Dr. Elizabeth Ockenmeyer. <laughs> the, the first quote, the, the one that's a little bit more grim, is by Dr. Valerie Bridgman, who is the Dean and Vice President of Academic Affairs and Associate Professor of Homiletics and the Hebrew Bible um, at the Methodist Theological School in Ohio. Um, so um, Dr. Valerie Bridgman is uh, a black theologian, a woman, and can I just get a whoop whoop for the fact that I've got two women theologians? Whoop whoop! Go girls. Um, so she is, this perspective, right, it's a different perspective looking at um, who Nahum was, what his message was. Um, and so we have the nice, um, I just want you to notice that because, not because it's um, particularly special, um, but because there are very different perspectives on how we read that, and a lot of our background really influences that. So we see that Elizabeth Ockmeyer is very influenced by her decency and order, right? So we can appreciate that um, a lot because that's kind of our, where we come from too. Um, Valerie Bridgman is 
Methodist, probably AME is my guess. Um, and so it's a little bit different perspective. Okay. The thing I want you to hear about this is that this is not primarily a book about people, about human beings. This is a book about God. Okay, I'm gonna say that again because that's really important. This is not a book about people. It's a book about God. So this loving God that we have pictured in Jonah that Robin talked about a couple weeks ago and the New Testament would forgive the sins of Assyria, right? He's already done that in the book of Jonah. He's forgiven the, the, the sins of Nineveh despite Jonah not wanting to even go and do it, right? He didn't, he's like, no, God, you're going you're gonna to forgive them, and I don't want that. These are awful people. Um, but he ended up prophesying and God forgave the people, they repented, and God forgave them. And then here we are 100 years later, um, and they're pretty awful. Again, or still, or whatever. Um, but we see, like, that loving God, we, we think um, would forgive the sins of Assyria, just as, and this is the final, like, human pride, right? That he will always forgive our sins. We dismiss Nahum as inferior, so our sense of what is proper. And so nobody talks about Nahum because it's a really awkward book. When we're looking at um, God in that light of um, the New Testament, in the light of his love and his compassion and his forgiveness, it's really hard to read Nahum. So I congratulate you if you read the book of Nahum. Thank you for doing that. It's really important because it is does tell us more about God. A little bit about the form and the structure, because the form and the structure always helps us to understand the narrative. Um, so the key message in Nahum is in the first chapter, verses 2 through 11, and it's a, it's a hymn fragment. Um, uh, and there is, this hymn fragment is, um, comes from another text, we think, um, and it is um, a Hebrew acrostic. Do you know what an acrostic is? When, when they use the first letters, like Psalm 119 is a Hebrew acrostic because they, they start each sentence um, with a different letter of the alphabet um, in order. So it starts with Aleph, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and it gets through Yod here in this, this passage. It gets through Yod, which is um, kind of like right in the middle of this. They don't get through the whole thing, but they get through um, Aleph through Yod. And it's interrupted in this, uh, with a little bit with where Nahum is taking this hymn fragment, adding something to it, um, and then it's, it, it is also extended uh, for a couple of verses. So that's just an interesting thing to notice that you, you won't see in your English Bible, right? Because we don't use the same words. There's also an inclusio. I'm giving you all sorts of really like grammatical and, and interesting terms. An inclusio on the word ra. That's the Hebrew word ra, and it means evil. Um, so the, this opening hymn ends with, from your midst came forth one who devised against Yahweh evil, ra, okay? And then in the final judgment oracle um, on Nineveh, at the end of chapter thir three, it ends with this address to the enemy in the form of a dirge. 
Um, and the last line reads in the Hebrew, for upon whom has not come your continual evil, Ra. So we have this at the beginning, it's like bookends, right, in inclusio. Um, at the beginning we have a, this reference to evil, and at the end we have this reference to evil. And that tells you a lot about um, the message that Nahum was, was prophesying about Assyria, right? What they thought about Assyria, that experience of being um, subjugated to Assyria, so Nahum was actually prophesying, oh, I'll get to that, sorry. Um, evil is introduced and evil is done away with. Okay, that's the, that's the flow of the book. Evil is introduced, Assyria is like the epitome of evil, and then it is done away with. And this is the, the theme that, that moves through this book. So between the beginning of um, the introduction of evil and the doing away of evil, um, we have four oracles, judgment oracles against Nineveh. Each one ends with a word from the Lord and is introduced by the word behold. Okay, so that's how they, they are broken up. And each pronouncement brings salvation for Israel at the same time it brings judgment on Assyria. So we have this balance of um, judgment and grace. Who was Nahum? Don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nahum means comforting or comforter. And it is, we know, what we know about Nahum is that his name was Nahum. Um, and that um, he came from Elkosh. That's what we know. Um, Nahum is defined, Nahum the prophet is defined as the person who wrote, wrote this book. That's who, what we know about Nahum. Um, so it's interesting, this book has two titles at the beginning of, in verse one, right? Um, a burden concerning Nineveh, or an oracle um, concerning Nineveh. We, we see similar um, introductions in Isaiah 13, 15, and 17. And then it's also called the Book of the Vision of Nahum of Elkosh. Okay, we, we don't know where Elkosh was, but um, the most widely accepted theory is that this was in uh, Judah. So Nahum was in Judah, um, and that he was of the tribe of Simeon. So remember the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and some of them, 10 of them were up north in Israel, and then the last two were down in, um, the, in Judah. And so he was of the tribe of Simeon, Simeon in Judah. Um, at this time, remember that we have Israel, the northern kingdom, is in exile in Assyria, right? So they are in exile. So he is in Judah, and he's prophesying against Assyria, and he is um, talking to the people of Judah who are not in exile, but they are subjects of Assyria. So they have, they're kind of, they sold their soul um, to Assyria, and Assyria is, doesn't 
play nice. So the, the other thing that's interesting about Mangha is that it's the only um, collection of prophetic writings that is called a book. Okay, so there's, there's you know, all these other prophetic writings, and, and they say, this is the prophecy of Isaiah. This is the prophecy of um, Ezekiel. This is the prophecy of Jeremiah, right? Um, but they don't say this is the book. So don't think that Nahum was, like, sitting down and writing this down, right? Um, but it's certainly at some point his prophecies um, were orally passed down orally passed down, and at some point they got written down and collected together and created a book, and that's the version that we have now. So uh, it's just identifying, that, that word book is just identifying it as, it as a single collection. A date. So we know that this was done sometime after Thebes was destroyed, because it says that. Um, and, and that happened in 663 BCE, um, and then sometime before Nineveh fell in 612. So it's sometime 663 to 612 BCE. Um, our best guess is that it's, this is about 100 years after the events of Jonah. Um, so we have Jonah, like I said before, who has prophesied, Assyria repented, they were forgiven, um, and then we have, we, we move into this place of um, they fall away from whatever they have repented and they keep doing whatever they're doing. So the, this is the, the theme of God's goodness is throughout all of this. So I just want to like point some of this out. So God is um, in Nahum, he is good because he is this destroyer of wrongdoing and evil. Is that a good thing? To destroy evil? Right? We, we all feel that way. Um, I kind of felt that way about my bunny. Right? Like, like my bunny, they're, they're taking over my yard and my neighbor's yard and, and the other neighbor's yard and they're all over our neighborhood. Um, and we rejoiced when that bunny... <laughs> Right? Yeah, and too, right? And it's all over that. Um, so we rejoiced when the bunny was taken. Uh, we, we were celebrating those tufts of fur and, and <laughs> very grateful. This is not the funny story I was trying to think of. Um, we were very grateful. And that, this is what, um, what Israel is doing, right? They are grateful that God is good and he's going to destroy wrongdoing and evil. Look at what it says. It says uses the word um, vengeance or avenging three times here, just in this little, like, one verse. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. Now, that doesn't sound very pleasant. I'm pretty sure my buddy didn't think that that was a pleasant experience. Um, but that bunny's never going to chew on my plants again. <laughs> right? Um, and just remember that in Romans it said, vengeance is mine. Right? God is the God of vengeance. It's not our job to do ven vengeance. We're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but it is not our job to do vengeance. Vengeance is for God. 
Um, we even pray, deliver us from evil, right? When we are told to love the enemies of God's goodness, love our enemies, right? Um, so that's our role. Our role is not vengeance. God is the one who judges, and God is the one who destroys evil. So that is part of um, Nahum's message of God's goodness. This one is really good. This is really good. God is slow to anger. We see that in uh, in just the, the story of Assyria, right? Um, the, the Israel was taken into captivity about 722 BCE. Um, we know that at some point in there, Jonah was prophesying and he's like, they're going to repent. And God's like, do it anyway. And he goes and they repent and he, God forgives them, right? This is an, and then 100 years later, here we're, we are back to where we were before, right? So God is slow to anger, and that gives me great hope. That is a proof of God's goodness because we, we fail a lot, right? We fail a lot. Um, so he had watched, this is, Assyria is called the, the cruelest conqueror in the ancient Near East. They were the cruelest conquerors in ancient Near East. We know from some of the archaeological sites in Babylon and translating some of their um, the old documents that were um, from about this time that they did some really awful stuff, really like flaying people alive, like taking their skin off when people were. I mean, they were awful, awful, awful. And God is very slow to anger, even in the face of this kind of evil. Isn't that reassuring? It's like, God is slow to anger because, not just because we fail often, but it gives a chance for every single one of us to come to him. And, and it gives us the hope that the, the evil that we see in the world today, um, it's not escaped God's wrath, right? It's not escaped God's judgment. It, that judgment is coming. Um, and it's our job to, to get out of the way, right? So, Jonah prophesied to Nineveh. They repented, um, yet they continued to strip Judah of her treasure and um, made them pay tribute um, to Sennacherib, who is the, the king of Assyria, um, and Manasseh, who was one of the bad, bad the worstest kings of Judah um, made this deal with Sennacherib so that they like they like Assyria was was stripping Israel or Judah of everything right um, and then Assyrian custom and religious practice became the norm in Judah and her, the prophets were murdered and the temple was desecrated I mean they did, they did awful stuff personally to individuals and then did awful stuff to the to the people that they were um, ruling over. But it's a mark of God's goodness that he is forbearing and patient with human sin. The weak cannot bear insults and they immediately answer back, right? Um, so if, if someone is weak, they, they can't take it when someone criticizes them, so they just 
react, right, and respond really fast. Um, and that's the point. It's like the yappy dog versus the lion. Um, the, the, the great don't need to respond because they know the other doesn't have the power to prosper for long. And so they know their own power and they're able to live it out. Um, but God always gives his creatures time to turn to him because his great desire is that each and every one of us come to know him. So he is slow to anger. But he is slow to anger, but not due to weakness. Um, if you read this passage in um, chapter 1, uh, his way is in the whirlwind and in the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles at his presence, the world and all who live in it. So we're re reflecting back on this creator God, right? The God who created can destroy. And, and that's what we see. And, and we're reminded again that God is slow to anger, but it's not because he's not powerful. He is all powerful. Um, and that is the encouraging, uh, a really encouraging thing. And that's part of God's goodness, right? That he is all powerful. And finally, and finally, um, God will never pass over human wrong. He says, the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Now, that, that's kind of scary, but remember, God is waiting for each and every one of us to come to him, right? He is waiting for each and every one of us to reach out to him and say, I'm sorry, Lord, I messed up, and I, but I wanna be with you, and I wanna be your, your, your person. So this Nahum is the story of balancing God's justice and God's mercy. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. Okay, so justice. But the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh, because they don't trust in him. Um, and he will pursue his foes into the realms of darkness. So there's this contrast of those who trust in God and those who don't. And Nineveh is in the latter group, right? Um, true justice in Nahum is that God will not let the guilty go unpunished. That is true justice. You notice it says, he's a refuge. So there's these two illustrations. He's a refuge, a stronghold. A stronghold is not temporary, right? A stronghold, we still have remnants of of forts. If you go out to Fort Warden um, or up on Ruby Island or all over, you can, you can see remnants of forts that were strongholds, places that we expected to be able to use as defense, right? Um, and since Assyria was so concerned with its strength and its power, um, this is a reminder that strength is and power is in God. It's not in human construction. Um, and then it sounds like he cares for those who trust in him. This is another word for, and it's a, he knows also, he knows or he cares. 
for those who, uh, who trust in him, who rely on him for their life and their sustenance and guidance. So God's knowledge, his care for us, implies this intimate care, okay? Tender concern, loving communion. We, we see that in Hosea also, that same sense of, of intimacy, right? Hosea married this, a woman, right? That's, that's that intimacy that um, God is saying, he's caring for us, he's loving us, he's, he knows us. Um, so, fun, sin. <laughs> a serious sin um, is, is many, many um, pieces of it. Um, one is the cruelty that they exhibited against their subjugated peoples. So I told you a little bit before, we don't have to really go into that in depth. Um, so essentially, Assyria forgets that she is just an instrument in the hand of God. Okay, So Assyria before had been used by God, right? Assyria had been used by God to exact judgment against Israel and bring them um, out of the land of Israel and into Assyria in exile and destroyed their temples, destroyed it, you know, destroyed all the stuff, right? Um, because Israel was not following God. So Assyria had been used by God, but she had become defiant, defiant of the power of God. Um, this is a quote um, from Rob Shakey. I have no idea how to actually pronounce that name, so I'm going to say Rab Shaky because it's like, Shaky. Um, <laughs> he was a Syrian commander at the time of Hezekiah. Okay? And he said to the people, Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvriam? <laughs> have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these countries have delivered their countries out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Right? There, that is some serious defiance of the power of God. By the way, that quotes in Isaiah chapter 36. Um, so chapter 3 of Nahum um, is considered one of the finest poetic portrayals of a powerful nation in, liter in all of literature. Okay? Um, there's political, military, economic power are all corrupted. Um, and she is prideful. Assyria's government practices duplicity for its own selfish interests. Um, she says it wants peace while preparing for war as, as she's doing negotiations with other um, countries. Um, she proclaims friendship while plotting for the downfall of its friend. Officials baldly lie to their citizens about, about what it is doing and project this image of caring and concern to hide their own greed and corruption. 
In chapter 3, we see all these bloody deeds, and, and in the Hebrew, there's this word kabod, okay, means heaps. And so we have heaps of treasure in chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, we have heaps of corpses. So we got heaps going everywhere. Um, so we see that Assyria is sinful, not just in how they're re relating to other people, but corrupted by power, prideful, and generally just awful. <coughs> Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. So that's a serious sin, right? A serious sin is going against what Jeremiah says here. They are delighting in their riches. They're delighting in their wisdom. They're delighting in their might and power. They're not 